Good morning, and welcome to episode 163 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California. Joining me as always is Sam Miller. Uh, One of the things that we want to do more often this season is have people on to talk about things that they know about, as opposed to pretending that we know about those things ourselves. Uh, So with that in mind, we have postponed the listener email show to later this week and gotten ourselves a guest. Uh, And if you've listened to the Up and In podcast, you have heard our guest before. If you have read basically any website on the internet, you have read his writing. Uh, This podcast is not long enough to list all of the places he has written for. Uh, It is Jorge Arangure. Hello, Jorge. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. Uh, So we brought you on to talk about the international draft, uh, which has become a topic again this week. Uh, It was a topic, I guess, about a year ago or when the, the new CBA was agreed to, there was sort of a sense that the restrictions on international spending that were imposed were kind of a placeholder. Bud Selig said an international draft was inevitable at the time. Uh, and now we seem to be approaching the point at which it will become a reality. There were some reports earlier this week from the Sports Business Journal that uh, that the commissioner's office is, pu- is pushing for an agreement to have some sort of draft uh, in place by June 1st, or agreed to at least by June 1st. Uh, so we wanted to have you on to kind of ask what form you, you would see this draft taking or when you, when you think it will be implemented, if you do think that it will be implemented, there are lots of questions that still have to be answered about whether it will be one global draft or, or an international draft that's separate from, from the rule four draft and which countries will be included and all kinds of logistical concerns that have to be sorted out. So how do you see this happening? How do you see it playing out? I think, you know, for me, I think it's always been uh, the number one objective for the owners who have been the ones who've been pushing for this is to kind of knock down bonuses. So I think logically that means that you would have to have one worldwide draft. I can't see you having two drafts because then, you know, the number one pick of both drafts would have an argument that they should be paid equally. And so that sort of defeats the purpose of what the you know, what, what the owners were trying to do, which is basically knock down all the bonuses. Um, so I, I, would, I would imagine that when it, when it does get implemented, and I think, you know, if Bud Selig's saying it's, you know, inevitable, I think it's going to be inevitable that it's going to happen. Um, I, you know, realistically, I still think um, having the dra- an international draft by next year would be a challenge. Uh, I think there are some, uh, you know, things that need to be figured out with, you know, with certainly with different countries in regard to different countries. I actually have a, uh, a story tomorrow that's going to appear on Sports on Earth that's, that's talked about sort of a wrinkle uh, regarding Mexico, um, the possibility of uh, that, you know, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it in case the story gets, you know, something gets held or something like that. But it's, it, it's regarding Mexico and, and a certain uh, player rights and free agency. So it could be uh, a wrinkle, not that that would be an obstacle uh, completely to, a, to an international draft, but it's some of, those, some of these issues that you might see um, as, you know, all the countries try to get implemented into the same kind of system. So, um, you know, we have so many different types of systems where, you know, in Mexico, what we have is sort of a, a, a system in place where 
teams deal directly with the professional teams down there. So, you know, major league teams are competing for talent against these teams, but the advantage that the Mexican league teams have is they can sign kids at when they're 13 or 14 years old. So um, it would be interesting to see how that uh, plays out in terms of, you know, you know, do teams select players that are already owned by professional teams in Mexico? Um, you know, so there's, so there's that, sort of logistic that needs to be involved, which, you know, there's other professional leagues too, you know, in, in Korea, Taiwan, uh, Japan, of course, that sort of uh, have these sort of same type of issues that, that will need to be sorted out. So you mentioned MLB wanting to, to save money and, and cut bonuses. Why is there such a fo- fixation on that uh, when you consider how little these players are making compared to, say, how much major league players are making or how much major league teams are spending in other areas, especially after international spending was already restricted with the new CBA. I think according to MLB's numbers, spending was down or bonuses were down 11% last year from the year before. So why the fixation on on reducing these already um, you know, fairly trivial amounts compared to how much teams spend on other things? It, you know, you know, it's really bizarre. I, you know, I, I hardly get it either. I mean, I think it's just a simply a matter of, of what they see as unproven talent. And I think, you know, a lot of teams are willing to spend on, on unproven talent. Uh, you know, teams have put out, you know, teams like the Rangers have spent a ton in, in Latin America. Um, and I think some of the other owners just don't want to have to compete with those types of uh, dollars. And I think it's just a, it sounds silly when you know you have teams paying 140 million dollars for players, or they're haggling over you know players who get one million. Um, it, it just seems really silly. But I think it just simply comes down to uh, the fact that they're unproven. And I think uh, you know kids you know who might not ever make the majors, as opposed to at least you know you're paying three, four million for a utility infielder that, you know, at least will be on the major league team so that there is some value to that. Uh, It seems silly for me to think that that that's where they want to cut cut costs. I mean, especially when the system, the way it's been right now, has worked so well in producing talent out of these countries that when you think about messing with that and what it might do, uh, even even, even if you're like the most pessimistic person and think, that you know the ta- that you know some of these countries are you know the the production of, of talent is going to be knocked down. I just don't see why you'd even mess with that. But you know they think that they're saving some money, so that's it doesn't you know it doesn't make sense. But that's sort of what they're looking at. So this is a, a collective bargaining issue. It has to be jointly agreed to. The players' union could veto it if they wanted to, but it doesn't seem like the executive director Michael Weiner or, or anyone in the leadership really. Uh, intends to to oppose it now is that basically because the players who aren't who are going to be affected by this or who would be affected by this are not in the union and the union basically doesn't care how much money they're making and and maybe even thinks that that its members will make more money if they they limit what uh, these amateurs are making yeah, exactly. I mean, when you when you see some of the you know reports, I think Buster only was talking about how you know the owners are ready to make concessions on you know minimum salaries and all that in order to get the draft. I mean, that's like brilliant negotiating by the union because they're basically using as leverage you know players that they don't even represent. So in the end, that they're those you know that's not a fight that they're going to fight till the end. Uh, the union has no stake in any of these kids. So 
you know, I, the fact that they're even negotiating for them seems awfully silly to me. But uh, I mean, that it, it really is what it comes down to. I mean, uh, you know, Michael Weiner, in conversations I've had with him, has, has expressed the fact that you know a lot of the Latin American players have really you know come up to him and, and have been you know, sort of angered at the thought of an international draft that could kill you know the production of talent in their countries. But in the end, I mean it's not going to be enough of a voting block within the union to stop something from hap- some something like this from happening so in you know because it's going to benefit some of the you know lower tier players who are just going to end up having you know bigger salaries if if you start to raise some of the minimum salaries um Jorge, uh in the you know in the in the draft as it is now um signability is often a, a big deal uh, players have some leverage because they have uh, the ability to go back to college or to go to college um, and you know a lot of players in the lower levels won't necessarily sign if they have an education already um, for an international draft uh, do you think that signability would be a significantly different thing I mean is signability gonna be an issue do um, do players uh, in an international draft sort of have some of the same leverage points or is it conceivable that the salaries could be sort of suppressed by the fact that if you only have one team and you don't necessarily have uh you know arizona state offering you a four-year scholarship um you don't really have another choice yeah for sure i mean i think you're going to see in some countries i mean especially some of the poor countries for example the dominican where you're going to see you know kids who who do, who do get drafted I mean, first of all, the kids who are going to suffer the most are those kids because if you're if you're competing, if you're a 17 year old Dominican kid who hasn't played much organized ball, and you're in the same draft as 18, 19 year old American players who've been playing, you know, in high school, or and you're competing against college players in in the draft. I mean, you're you're not going to be a top, you know, 10, 15 pick if you're if you're unless you know you're a generational type of talent. So. Those those kids' salaries are already going to be knocked down. Plus, like, as you mentioned, their leverage is going to be basically nothing because, you know, a kid may decide in the Dominican to not sign if he's drafted. Okay, he goes back into the draft next year. But as we've seen, sort of, you know, historically in in Latin American countries, kids who are older usually end up getting lower bonuses anyway. So because teams think that they that they're losing a year of development, uh, you know, by the time if if a kid is, you know didn't sign at 17 and now he's 18 well that's the year lost that he could have spent in the minors and so uh, as as you see it within the marketplace as it, as it is now as a kind of a free market the younger kids always get bigger bonuses than the older kids i mean the better ones you know obviously there's some exceptions but in the in a general sense the younger you sign in the dominican the more money you're going to get so it's going to be you know kids are there's no incentive for kids to not sign because they're basically losing money by not signing. So they're going to be, m- most of the top picks are going to be, you, you would envision like 16-year-olds being drafted? I would think that, you know, I would think at the very least that at least, you know, MLB will have to raise the signing age or the draft age in, in Latin America to 17, I would think. Because I don't think it's fair. I don't, I don't think you can have 16-year-old kids competing against, you know, 22, 23-year-old American college kids in the draft. I just think that's really, really uh, difficult to, to have that, those kinds of circumstances because, I mean, in the end, you're, you know, a lot of teams are going to go for, for the guys who are, you know, more 
closer to development than kids are that are such wild cards. I mean, obviously, like there will be exceptions. Like I said, there, you know, there are generational type of talents. You know, there are the the Sanos who would probably have been a top ten pick no matter what. But I mean, that's good. Those are gonna, those are going to be the rarities. Those are going to be exceptions. Um, if you have everybody in one sort of lump uh, draft. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go back. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so I'm reading uh, Dollar Sign on the Muscle, which was um, you know, written about a decade after the draft was implemented in the United States. And one of the things that um, scouts were bemoaning a decade later was that essentially, in a lot of ways, the draft kind of killed a lot of scouting because um, it took some of the skill out of it. You were scouting players you really had no chance to sign because you wouldn't get to pick them in the draft and there wasn't the same kind of personal connection that you would make with the players you wanted to sign because basically they were going to sign when you drafted and they only had one choice and so i was just wondering if um there's a similar situation where uh this draft would an international draft would kind of take some of the skill out of scouting internationally or whether it's not really comparable because it's already kind of an information saturated market and you know I don't know I don't really know how it is you know it's it's interesting I mean I think you know in talking to some scouts about this I mean they really think that um, this sort of environment benefits sort of the lazier teams because I mean it's already happened now even within the you know the free market system MLB has really tried to centralize uh, the entire market by sponsoring some of these uh, big workouts. You know, they have their own, you know, sort of youth league, I mean, sort of, you know, teenage league, prospect league that they do now. They're basically trying to have all the prospects in one place at one time so that the scouts can see them. Um, and, you know, obviously the advantages for the players is, you know, you get seen by all these scouts, and if you're really good, you're going to be, you know, raised up and, and you're gonna, your profile is going to be uh, higher than it would have been before. But I think. Uh, you know, like you said, I mean, there, especially in the Dominican. I mean, there, you know, scouts who, you know, you hear the stories about the scouts who drove to the, you know, further away places about, you know, where and found this kid and they signed that nobody else had ever heard of. Um, I think it'll still happen every once in a while, but I think by the fact that MLB wants so badly to have all these kids there at once, so they can see them, so they can track them, um, and you know, they, they sort of want to do this sort of to sort of minimize the age thing too you know you don't want to they don't want to have kids sort of repeat being prospects and then show up again at 18 if they didn't sign when they were 16 and pre pretend they were somebody else you sort of want to start identifying these kids when they're 15 years old so that you know they have a so they have sort of a, a written uh, sort of trail that they can follow um, but it is going to eliminate some of that legwork that a lot of these scouts sort of thrived upon in terms of finding uh, you know some of those uh, hidden gems so to speak so a related question, a couple of years ago, you wrote an article for ESPN about the Rays' plans to open up an academy in Brazil. If there's an international draft, is there any incentive for teams to cultivate new markets or, or establish kind of a, a presence or plant their flag in, in new markets if they then can't really count on having a leg up on signing those players? and? And if teams aren't operating academies, then who will fill that void? Or will anyone? Will MLB? Will some local entity spring up to kind of fill that, that hole? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is that, I mean, MLB really, really wants to control uh, that amateur process. Because, you know, they do camps in Brazil. Uh, you know, they've done one, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. They, you know, they've done in the last few 
and they basically have, you know, make, make available to, you know, whatever scouts want to go down there. Um, they have, you know, a group of prospects. Uh, they'll, they'll have, you know, sort of camps down there that, that, that a bunch of kids can play, and, you know, um, scouts will go down there and look at them. So it is sort of taking away the incentive of, of, of being a team that's down there and spending the money on an academy if MLB is going to just try to make the process easier for everyone by just having these sponsored events where they can go down there and, and sort of, you know, see them. And I, in some ways, I mean, I think that's it's, it's sort of a shame in that, that, you know, I think some of the more creative organizations, you know, would find ways to find, you know, some of that talent that don't, that doesn't show up at these showcases, but at the same time, is it worth the cost now of of, of having you know an academy down there? And and I think in the end, you know the the whole country suffers in terms of baseball development because you know the more if you have if you encourage more teams to go down there, you're going to have more uh, development down there. But if you just have you know a certain select group of kids going and and showing up at a showcase sponsored by MLB. Um, that I think obviously you're not going to have as many kids, you know, persuaded to play. So um, if this is sort of the environment that's that's that where we're headed, I think it is. Uh, I think you will see a little bit less incentive for for places like you know for teams to invest in places like Brazil. You've also written a lot about the the corruption that surrounds the the culture of baseball in some countries and all the difficulties of verifying players' birth dates and origins. Do you think that that an international draft could potentially end those issues and and give teams the the secure feeling that that the player they're drafting is actually the player they're drafting and is as old as as they think he is, or is it just such a, a nightmare to actually verify all that 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 there's still going to be loopholes and ways for things to slip through? I, mean, I think the interesting thing is that, um, you know, since MLB start, sort of took over the investigation process in 2009, they used, you know, before they used to basically use uh, subcontract, uh, what essentially were lawyers in the, in the Dominican to kind of like do the investigations. And, and it wasn't actually officially investigators. They were just subcontracted people. But when they, in 2009, they basically had uh, an ex-FBI agent go in there and, and take the lead in the investigations they've really cut down on on some of the age stuff i mean i don't you don't really see some uh, kids who signed post 2009 get popped for age stuff you know most of the guys that you hear about now that, that have been found to have lied about their age were, were pre-2009 so i think you know they've, they've sort of uh, you know done a lot and, and made a lot of headway in that department um, i do think there's you know they they believe that there will be an element uh, a criminal element that will sort of be eliminated if some of those bonuses do go down in the Dominican. They feel that a lot of um, some of the you know the less uh, desirable trainers uh, who are just in it to make uh, you know a lot of money off off the, some of these bigger bonuses might not you know find the business to be as profitable anymore, and you know they might be eliminated. Uh, they might not want to be you know do the business anymore. But I think. I think that that's if that's not the number one reason why MLB is doing this. I mean, if it happens, if that's you know if that's happens, I don't. That's you know that's a sort of a side result of what they're trying to do. I mean, they're just literally just trying to lower the bonuses um, in in some of these countries. They just would rather not have to pay as much as they've been paying for some of these players who uh, they see as still very uh, potential risks. 
So my last question, if you listen to what MLB says, obviously they're not going to say that, that we're, we're doing this to, to make money and cost impoverished Dominican kids money. They're going to say that it's because of competitive balance, uh, which is something that they also said last year with the, the new CBA. And I think at the time, a lot of the reaction was from, from people saying that it would do just the opposite, that many small market teams like the Pirates or, or the Rays had been spending a lot on the international market or in the draft and that they had been able to kind of catch up with big market teams who weren't doing that that way and, and that the CBA would restrict their ability to do that. At the same time, there wasn't anything under the old system preventing the big market teams from doing that. They just seemed to have been slow to to discover that strategy. So is there an interpretation that that says that this could improve competitive balance in the long run or, or possibly protect small market teams? I don't, I mean, like you said, I mean, I think, you know, you've seen in the last few years in the free market, you've seen some of the, you know, even before the caps, you saw some of the smaller market teams are the ones that spent the big money on some of the players. I mean, you had, you know, you had the A's spending on Inoa, you had the Twins spending on Sano. I mean, you had the Pirates spending on Heredia, the Mexican kid. I mean, you have, you know, you've seen all these teams. I mean, it, the Yankees aren't all, are hardly ever the huge spenders in Latin America in terms of, you know, some of the teenage uh, Latin American kids. And so I don't think you can really say that, you know, this type of situation is going to really help competitive balance because I don't think the other way was hurting it. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't find that to be uh, a legitimate point in terms of them pushing for the uh, international draft. To me, it, like I said, it simply comes down to wanting to knock down uh, bonuses all around. And, not, and I'm not just saying that they want to knock down bonuses for Latin Americans. I mean, obviously, this is going to knock down bonuses for American kids, too, because you're going to have the other players slotted in, you know, in there. In there. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have pretty good Latin American players who are going to push kids who might have been, you know, second or third rounders, maybe into fourth or fifth rounders. So it's going to cost every, you know, you're going to see sort of that trickle down effect where you're going to have uh, all players of all races and nationalities being affected financially by this. All right. You have anything else, Sam? Nope. Then we are done. Thank you, Jorge. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you can read Jorge, as, as he mentioned, at Sports on Earth, also at SB Nation, Long Forum, at New York Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Jorge Rangre. Uh, we will have another special guest on, we hope, tomorrow. So we will do listener emails on Friday. So send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.